reading is Job chapter 38. It's a piece of beautiful poetry. Is it the whole chapter? 1 to 33. Job chapter 38 verses 1 to 33. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone, while the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it, and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, This far you may come, and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning, or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal, Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail? which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm, to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of the Fleides? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? 
Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chapter in Job is you never quite know where to stop, and it goes on for another chapter and a half afterwards as well, in just the same sort of light of the exuberance of all that God has made. And then we come to a story from the book of Exodus, chapter 31. People are in the desert, and God has given instructions for a structure to be made which will symbolize his presence among his people. Ezekiel 30, Exodus 31, starting at verse 1. It's on page 90 if you want to follow it. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the Ark of Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant law with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stands, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. This is the word of the Lord. Going to ask Matt to come and to preach now. Um, Matt, I don't know whether you know this congregation, but uh, you, you know some of them here. Um, I think it's fair to say, Matt, you're, you're in the process of, of, of discerning ordination training, but, but, but on, on the way. So yeah. um, <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, uh, we're not through there yet, but it, no. it, it's on the way. So Matt, let me pray for you Thank as you, you come to, to, to these, uh, these, these incredible chapters that we've just read. <laughs> Father, thank you for the gift of, of your word and for the, the way in which you speak of both your creativity and ours as we're made in your image. Pray for Matt now as he speaks to us that you would take his words, bring them to us as from you, and help us to listen to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian, and thank you for the round of applause as well. Um, <laughs> For those of you who uh, don't know me, sometimes I have been leading worship here in the past in the 11.15, but I've been moved to take over the 6 p.m. for now to uh, bring some direction to that. And Brian's quite right. Reading those verses um, in Job from 38 onwards, you really don't know where to stop. It is just so fantastic. I would encourage you later today, just have a flick through the rest of it and be inspired at who God is. Now, for those of you who... uh, Don't know what I do. I'm a teacher by trade at the moment. I teach at a school in Eastleigh, and it is the time of year now where everyone in the staff room is counting down. (laughs) 
Some of them are talking about where they're going on holiday. I haven't booked mine yet. I've got to be honest, I love traveling. And I've been very fortunate in my job roles and in what I've done through my life to go to all sorts of different places. And I'll draw on those as I come through. But I often find myself not only wanting to see new places, but to go back to certain places that I absolutely love. In fact, I find myself imitating Bilbo Baggins at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. I want to see mountains again, Gandalf. Mountains! and then find somewhere quiet where I can finish my book. I do say that to my wife, um, not to Gandalf. But there is something about God's creation that stimulates us. There is something about being in God's creation that brings so much to us. Now, that's not an unfamiliar thing to our society. Two weeks ago in school, we had assemblies on um, Get Outdoors Week or something like that. It's linked to well-being. People are saying so much that actually we are meant to be outside more. We are meant to be interacting with what we know is God's creation because it is good for us. It is good for us mentally. It's good for our soul. And if we only find ourselves wandering around big, built-up cities... We only wander around man's creation. It takes us to look up at the sky, to count the clouds, to see the majesty that is before us. And there's something so lavish about God's creation. It goes beyond what is functional. I've got to be honest, I absolutely love visiting uh, cathedrals. When I went to see my brother when he lived in Manchester, to my surprise, we went into the cathedral there. And I remember looking up at the ceiling and staring at all those intricate details that are there. They are utterly pointless. They have no purpose except to do this, to honor God, to reflect how high he is above us. And that detail, that intricate beauty, reflects who he is. It's not there for any other purpose than to glorify his character. God's creativity in his creation reveals his character. He is looking at those small, tiny details as well as the huge images that we see of the cosmos. God reveals his character to Job through talking about the way he has created the world. He reveals his character to Israel through the acts he does, through his power in the Exodus narrative over nature, bringing the plagues on Egypt, but also parting the sea for Israel to come through to safety. And he says to them, you are to reflect my character as well. But before we get into how we do that, we need to bear this in mind. If we see creation as revealing God's character, we are to know God. This is about a relationship with God as well. You have to keep your relationship right with God too. When you read throughout the entire book of Job, you see a man who is upright and righteous. He keeps his relationship right with God. He never turns around and curses God for what is going on in his life. His wife even encourages him to at one point. Stop doing this. This is madness. He knows God. If you don't have a relationship with God yourself, I'd invite you during this to reflect on who this God is that I'm speaking about, who this God is revealed to us through scripture and through creation, and just invite him into your life. 
The relationship with God is sustained through disciplines, we know, prayer, reading of scripture, coming to church, worshipping him. And Job has this amazing relationship with God. But that doesn't mean that he knows everything that God intends for him. The relationship is not about answers to the big questions of life, as we shall see. Before this text, Job has asked God questions. What is going on in his life? Why have these calamities come upon him? And he doesn't get an answer until now. And in fact, he doesn't really get an answer at all. God intentionally doesn't answer the question. So we're going to deal with our Job passage first, if you keep that open, Job 38, and starting at verse 1. I love this, from the whirlwind, God speaks. Imagine for a moment the terrifying spectacle of the great winds whipping up in front of you, so strong, so powerful, and God speaking to it, speaking out through there to Job, out of the storm. And it's really important as we read these messages, when, these uh, words, sorry, when I first read this, I always read that stern voice in my head. Who are you to question me? And actually, we need to understand this is not a rebuke to Job. This is actually encouragement. And it's built on a very healthy relationship. A parallel I can think of in my place of work, there is, a, uh, there is a person that I really trust who is a senior colleague, and he has had to remind me of what I should be doing at times. He has told me off, but I also know he's got my best interests in his mind as well. He is looking out for me, and because of this, I trust him. When he tells me, I won't use his colourful language, you utter dingbat. I trust him when he tells me, you're doing this really wrong, why are you doing that? Here, Job has this relationship with God and God speaks to him. Who is this that obscures my plans without words of knowledge? Let's remind you, Job. You don't know my plans for you. You don't know the plans I have for you. But you know me. And as we get to verse 3, I love this. Brace yourself like a man. What God's saying is, you are my creation. You are as I made you. You are the last of my creation. You are the pinnacle of my creation. Stand up as almost my equal. There are commentators who say this phrase, almost equal with God. Do we know our place in this relationship with him? Take encouragement this morning, Christian, for your relationship with God who created the heavens and the earth. And what then comes on from verses 4 to 33? We've got this vast tapestry of who God is through his creation. And everything in this is just to be enjoyed for its own sake. We are to enjoy God for his own sake. And if anything, it will leave us in awe of God's creation. Before I started teaching, I used to work for a holiday company called Richmond Holidays. And my job was, uh, I was their ministry leader. So I was leading uh, small services five or six nights a week. And what we always said as staff teams was the moments 
where people really relaxed on a holiday and really drew a breath from God's creation of being somewhere new and beautiful. We often found it most obvious with the dads who came with their families that it took them several days to stand a bit taller, to look relaxed, because they'd finally let go of all the stresses and worries of their lives. God's creation is there to be enjoyed. And as we go through this, we see that it's not just about how God's created it. It's that he is still involved in this creation. He is still involved in maintaining it and looking after it. As we pick up the text, I'm just going to draw out a few bits because we won't have time to go through all of it. Verse 7, we see the ongoing praise of God in heaven. In Revelation, it's revealed to us how we are invited to join in with this, that praise everlasting. Every created being is filled by praising God. When we feel tired and downtrodden, as Job is at this point, this meeting with the Almighty is what brings that peace to him. It's hugely important that our relationship with God is maintained, that we keep pressing into who he is through scripture, through prayer. And as we continue on, verses 8 to 11, God reveals his almighty power over his creation, over the seas, talking about how he keeps them in. I'll share with you a brief story. When I was 17, I grew up sailing with my dad. I grew up in a place called Emsworth that some of you may have heard of. It's not far from here. There's some nodding heads and smiling faces there. My dad and I sailed together. And when I was 17, we were competing in the national championships for our class of boat. And even better, it was at Hailing Island. Home turf. Dad sailed here before. I've sailed there my whole life. We know it brilliant. This is our chance to get the title. And we went out on the first day, and the winds did the opposite of what they were expected. They picked up. They got really strong. Now, they didn't hit gale force, which is a force eight, for those of you in the know. Um, They got to a six, gusting seven. This is really strong winds we're talking about. And Hailing Bay has a really particular feature where it's actually quite shallow. And what happens at this point is if the tide turns through that channel and the wind goes against it, you get big waves, big rolling waves. Our estimates are that they were about three meters tall as we did everything we could to keep our boat under control and slow it down. And I remember hanging off the edge of the boat on what's called a trapeze wire. So I am held onto a boat just by one wire and they do snap. I remember hanging there, holding on to the ropes, and being scared. The only ever time I've been scared in the water, grown up surfing, I've grown up doing all sorts of wonderful things thanks to my parents, and seeing the power of it, and it's the only time I did. And I remembered, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? That moment of being out in the elements, experiencing the power of God's creation will forever stay with me as a revelation of who God is, that he is in command of the waves. Incidentally, we capsized, we snapped our mast, we had to get rescued, and we were rather ill. It was a very memorable experience. God goes on to Job. He keeps going on. He talks about 
how light will eventually defeat darkness in verse 15. We've got this dual meaning here. God has given birth to the thing by which we see all things around us. Without light, we would be in complete darkness. We wouldn't be able to tell what is even in front of us. And on top of that, without the light of God, without knowing what is holy and right, we would not see what is wrong in the world as well. And one day, the wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. God goes on how he has power over the afterlife. Verses 16 to 18. Job, you've never been here. You have lived. You do not know what is in the depths. You do not know what there is. I am in command. I have control. I have dominion. And he goes on still. He controls the wind and the rain. And going on further... He is everywhere in the cosmos, which he controls, verses 31 to 33. I don't know if any of you have been watching Brian Cox's new program on the BBC. I am just in awe of the cosmos, of the vastness of it. And to remember that God created that, maintains that, interacts with that, that it's his. It leaves me feeling tiny. But to know that we have a relationship with this God, that's huge, hugely encouraging. Sometimes we need to be battered by the wind and soaked by the rain. I think physically and metaphorically. It is good for us to be reminded of our own fragility as we go about in God's creation that has its dangers but also spiritually metaphorically to go through those trials that sharpen us and shape us and show God's consistency of being there some of you are aware the last uh, I was about to say a couple of months the last few years at work for me have been really tough and I'm hugely thankful now for the things that I will have learnt about who God is and about how he uses those around us to encourage us, to lead us, to guide us, to shape us. Because I know through this, if I keep my relationship with the Almighty right, I will learn his ways and not my own. Job responds to God and, and he, know, he knows more of him. And this is his first response. This is in chapter 42, if you're wanting to know for later. It's really short. You can do everything. None of your plans can be frustrated. I think that's the New Living Translation version of it. You can do everything. His response to seeing God speak to him from the whirlwind, from the storm, to speak about the vastness of his creation and how he has done it is to say, you can do everything. None of your plans can be frustrated. Job knows God and worships him. And throughout this amazing poetry, God's character is revealed to us. We know, looking back through the lens of history and through the whole of Scripture, that God's character will ultimately be revealed in Jesus. And that he will show us what love really looks like. And he will show us what sacrifice 
really looks like. But here's one of Jesus' teachings. He tells his disciples to consider the lilies. Now, we've got here in this text God on a huge scale, which I've mentioned leaves me feeling like this. But Jesus very calmly says to his disciples, well, consider the lilies as well. Ponder on the small things in life. We enjoy God on a big scale and in everyday life, in those small moments. One of the uh, weeks I did with Richmond Holidays after I left, I, I, came, I go back every now and again and do some, some work for them. There was this fantastic couple from uh, Northern Ireland, and we went walking up the mountain one day. And in the evening, this lady shared, you know what stuck out to me today? Now, bear in mind, we're on top of mountains. We're looking across a lot of France. We can see Mont Blanc. It's stunning. It's a beautiful day. There is a slight wisp of clouds in the sky. The thing that stood out to me most were those little snowdrops on the ground because of their shape, because they were stood in a place where nothing else can grow, and they were bent over like this, as if bowing before God. God is in the big stuff, as well as the tiny details. And that will forever stay with me as well. God is the God of all the big things, the big plans. But he's also the God of everyday life, of the intricate moments in your life and mine. As we move on to the Exodus narrative, we bear this in mind. God calls his people as part of a multi-generational plan lasting thousands of years. We remember Job's words. None of his plans can be frustrated we see through the whole of Scripture God's big story, and we know our part in it as well, our smaller part. But it's still hugely important. So we look at this building of the tabernacle. If you would like to turn with me to Exodus 31. The tabernacle is a reflection of God's relationship with man. One commentator goes to say that in the New Testament, this relationship is embodied in Jesus Christ. Christ becomes the Christian's tabernacle, the very presence of God in us. God wants his people to know he is present with them all the time. It is about this relationship. He wants his people to know, I am here to relate to you. I am here to know you and for you to know me. And it's important that we bear in mind the nomadic lifestyle that Israel currently has. They've left Egypt, they're establishing themselves as a people, and they're moving towards the promised land, but they will spend 40 years in the desert. Jonathan Sachs goes on to say that God's nomadic dwelling amongst his people reveals to them that his presence is everywhere. Unlike the Canaanite gods of their neighbors, who had gods of specific places, God reveals to his people that he is indeed everywhere. And as we look at the tabernacle, we know that it won't be fully fulfilled until Jesus, or physically until the time of Solomon, when the temple is built in all its glory. There is a purpose behind this that we see now that Israel would not have understood at that time, not in the way we do. So as these craftsmen are called... They're called to reflect God who is everywhere, who is going to travel with them. They reflect God's glory in the creative use of gifts he has given them. He talks about the individuals he's called for their skills. He's talked about how they will just make all of these wonderful, intricate features that reflect who God is and have a purpose in 
washing of the priests and the sacrificial moments to pay for Israel's sins and to give what is God for God. God gives the gifts. We choose to use them creatively. We are naturally creative people. Because we are made to be like God. I've mentioned that I'm a teacher. My subject specialism is music. I spend my time teaching teenagers how to create music. And I often get, I can't do music. I'm not creative. I have no ideas. What I have learned is that that creativity actually comes from the disciplines we know. When I think about my Christian faith, I know my most creative moments come from the disciplines of everyday life of how I maintain that relationship with God. God goes further as well as giving all of the details of what needs to be doing to make those furnishings, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories. When we pick this up in chapter 35, God also says to them, you've you've got the abilities to go and teach others to do this as well. Creativity is something that they can encourage and teach to others. It's the desire and encouragement to use God's gifts creatively. Effectively, our worship then becomes, in light of this, how we respond to God, how we respond to the creative creator who reveals himself to us. God gives us gifts for us to use them skillfully and rightly, and it honors him. And he gives us gifts that we would try out new things, that we would be creative with them. One thing that is coming up, this is still happening next week, isn't it? We're bringing, brilliant. The challenge is to bring things in that show your own creativity. Suggestions have been uh, if you've restored a motorbike, if you've got a piece of art or something like that. As I thought about this, I, I thought, okay, I'm not around next week, so I am not going to do this. Well, The most day-to-day creative thing I think I do is what I like to do in the kitchen. I love cooking. I love being creative either with what's in the cupboard or purposely going out and actually buying the right ingredients. So I thought to represent that, I could bring in my knife. I'm not here. It's okay. (laughs) Something that shows your creativity. Because I would challenge you all that we all have the ability to be creative. It comes down to a choice. And the purpose of this is this, that we enjoy God and the gifts he's given us from our relationship with him. When we avoid creativity and worship in general, we do it for all manner of reasons. I know in my life, I um, do this when work frustrates me. I do this when I'm tired. I do this when I'm frustrated with people and I take it out in the wrong places and I do the opposite of what I ought to do. Go out for a walk. Look at just the beauty of a leaf. When we avoid worship, when we avoid creativity given to us by God, there are remedies for it right in front of us. If you find that those areas in your life are lacking, 
If you think, actually, over this next week, I don't know what I'm going to bring next week. Perhaps check your disciplines of Christian faith. What do you do to maintain your relationship with God? From that, you'll find how to use your gifts creatively. Because we worship God freely to enjoy him. We don't get anything from it. Job doesn't get anything from knowing God. The purpose of knowing God is not to get answers or to be given stuff. The purpose of knowing God is to know him. And we can enjoy creativity together. When we read the text in Exodus, we notice that God sends his spirit to those skills worksmen. God sends his spirit to you, Christian, that you would creatively use the gifts he has given you. Amen.